Welcome to the new European Survey Research Association podcast series. Each month we'll be talking to a leading expert in survey research and trying to understand the state of the art in specific areas of conducting surveys. I'm your host for this series, Tom Emery, and I'll be learning along with you as I poke and prod these experts for their take on the latest developments in survey research. I'm an Associate Professor of Sociology at Erasmus University Rotterdam and Deputy Director of Odyssey, the Dutch National Infrastructure for Social Science. So join me as we delve into a topic each month and try to get a better sense of some of the latest developments in survey research. Here with me this month is Assistant Professor at Utrecht University and superstar survey innovator Bella Struminsky, who will be guiding us through the wonderful world of apps and sensors in surveys. So welcome, Bella. Thanks for joining us here on the podcast. Hi, Tom. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, you're the first uh, guest we've had and, and you're someone I've known for quite a, a while now. And I feel like I, I, I know quite, quite a bit about your research career. But I wanted to kind of start off by understanding why in the world you got into survey research. I think it's a question that we have to ask every survey researcher. Because I think there is, there's quite often that moment of spark where they get inspired to spend their life looking at response rates and these kind of things. Yeah, so you know how children get asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? And uh, my answer was not a survey researcher, obviously. Uh, I studied sociology. Uh, I was interested in the society and how it works. And then I got interested in web surveys, which was a new mode of data collection at the time. I knew about public opinion research, so APER, the American Association for Public Opinion Research. I knew that there is GESIS, the institute that I later joined to work at. And um, yeah, when I joined to do my uh, PhD, uh, I found out that it was very applied, as I thought, compared to sociology. What I like about survey research, though, it's that it's a small community and it's a wonderful um yeah, wonderful community to work with. Uh, and what survey researchers do is basically study errors, or which uh, happen, can happen in surveys. Uh, and uh, for me, um, it was fascinating to see how societal changes and technological changes connect to these errors. So that's how I uh, got to uh, work on online surveys, on apps and wearables and sensors, and um, how to make sure that the statistics that go out of surveys are representative for the population. Yeah, I think that's really what we're going to be digging into today. So the topic today is on uh, sensors and apps and surveys. And it is one of those like highly unstable and dynamic areas of survey research. So I just wanted to kind of, uh, yeah, how did you actually end up getting into apps and sensors specifically? Uh, yes, so I got excited by it because uh, people at uh, Utrecht University and Statistics Netherlands were uh, doing research on these novel methods of data collection. So I was, uh, as I said, working on online surveys, uh, data quality in online surveys, and then transitioned to mobile uh, web surveys when people started using mobile devices more. And then it basically gets uh, uh, rolling like this. So as uh, people engage with technology, then uh, we want to know um, what this technology can bring us opportunities, challenges, what uh, conclusions we can reach and what errors are connected to, for example, uh, people taking surveys on mobile devices instead of laptops and then uh, also using apps. So like that, that's quite an interesting uh, uh, take on it. But I... I I was also wondering, it does feel like in this world of apps and sensors and things like that, everything is a survey now, right? Like, so all your devices, everything, your data is being collected in this huge world. So it feels like this uh, big data gone mad kind of thing. So I think I, I was also wondering, not just what is your area of research, but what is not, right? So there's so much that could actually be covered by this 
do you have a kind of sense of, of things that you, you don't like to look at? So you, as a researcher, it's quite often you kind of come up against those things. You're like, yeah, I, I, I've gone beyond what I find interesting now. Do you know where those borders are, where those limits are? <laughs> so indeed, this, this mobile apps and sensors and surveys is a very broad topic. Uh, and uh, I do work also on, you know, normal, so to say, survey errors. Uh, but what I... <laughs> <laughs> Normal survey errors. Normal yeah. survey. Just that standard run-of-the-mill error <laughs> stuff, yeah. Yes, traditional surveys. So there was a really interesting uh, thing you were saying about uh, studying the changing technology within surveys, and it's particularly with uh, apps and sensors. I am wondering where, whether we can actually draw the line now between where surveys begin and where they end in terms of how they link into all the uh, other different aspects of life. So whether that's through accelerometers and Fitbits or, or apps and devices... Yeah. Do you have a perspective on that? How does that kind of, how do you not become like studying everything in a digital society? <laughs> That's a great question. So um, indeed the field uh, or the subfield of this mobile apps and sensors and surveys is really broad. And I would draw the line at so-called found data. So the data which is collected not for the purposes of research. So you can think about, uh, for example, transactions with your credit card, right? Um, so big data, but also the definition of big data itself changes, right? So at some point, people were defining big data as data that doesn't fit on one uh, hard drive, but then hard drive got expensive, uh, sorry, expanded. <laughs> and um, yeah, so basically what I do is more on the side of uh, designed data. So designed big data, as uh, I call it. Uh, where you, first of all, have a prospective data collection, right? It can also be with uh, apps, web apps, uh, or external sensors such as smart home devices. So something which is not uh, digital traces that are left uh, by people, um, although I will talk about it later uh, today maybe. Um, and uh, in general, where you start with the probability sample and then you draw... Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. No, when you draw a probability sample. <laughs> you draw yeah, a probability yeah. sample. Yeah. And then you recruit people um, to either participate in a survey or to um, just right away start with the uh, study or using sensors uh, and wearables and whatnot. And uh, then you can basically see who participates, who does not participate, who uh, was uh, not sampled. So you can assess uh, these errors along the way. So this is more of my specialty, I would say. Okay, oh, that's very interesting. Now, the analogy I always use a little bit with this kind of big data discussion and the, the, the design approach, as you say, it's quite useful that we're in the Netherlands, right? So if you, if you just leave everything and it is, you drown in the data lake. You're always overwhelmed by all the water and you, you drown in it. So what we need to do as, uh, as data scientists is to polder, right? To organize, into, <laughs> to organize the flow of data uh, within our kind of land and make sure that we don't drown in it, right? That's a bit what you're saying? So... Um are you saying that that we are in the Netherlands? Uh, we can profit <laughs> from the population registries or uh, or whatnot. Uh, it doesn't have to be a population registry, right? It can just be a, a sampling frame. From yeah, exactly. But you're organizing the stro uh, the flow of data, right? The structure, which is exactly what the Dutch do with their windmills and dikes, right? It's exactly <laughs> it's this making sure you don't drown kind of approach to uh, to data. All right. Yes. <laughs> Okay, but then uh, I think the, the interesting question to, to move on to is if you're collecting this data and you're taking this more kind of design approach uh, when it comes to sensors and apps in surveys, what kinds of research questions do you think it opens up and enables for researchers to look at? 
So I think the most useful phenomena that we can uh, use the mobile apps uh, and sensors for is something which is difficult to measure through self-report. So for example, if I ask you how many steps have you taken today, you probably wouldn't know, right? So what you would do is uh, maybe look at your smartwatch, you look at your phone to answer this question. So uh, this is connected to what is called recall error, so people cannot recall some information. And uh, also uh, information which can be burdensome to provide. So, for example, the study with CBS, Statistics Netherlands, uh, one recent one of ours, um, is where we use the app-based household budget survey uh, in three countries, Netherlands, uh, Luxembourg and Spain. And people could take photos of receipts uh, of their purchases Or they could also enter the purchases by hand, of course. But you can imagine that the burden of entering every product that you bought uh, when you go to a supermarket or uh, when you buy online is quite high. So you can minimize this by just taking a picture and sending it to uh, the researchers. What I also think is exciting is to combine this uh, self-report and different uh, measures. So you can also ask questions in the moment. Uh, It's called ecological momentary assessment. Uh, where you, for example, are asking, uh, how are you feeling today uh, on a scale from 1 to 10? And you can combine it with, uh, let's say, geolocation sensing um, uh, and only send these kind of questions when a person is in the green space. Uh, And uh, for this, you would also need to know where the green space is, where the person is located. But uh, I think this is uh, the uh, most groundbreaking uh, and exciting thing to do to combine different types of data. And when you're talking about sensors, can I just ask as well, like, so one thing that's always uh, a difficult question, I think, for, for surveys looking to use sensors in their, in their own surveys, are, are you exclusively talking about sensors we actually find already on our devices? So you were talking then about environmental measures, for example. Is that using the measures already in, the, in, in your phone, for example, that pick up on sound or your geolocation, all these kind of things? Or are we more, uh, talking more about sensors that you're actually sending to the respondents and getting them to wear and these kind of things? So it can be all these different things, right? So for uh, one, it can be uh, sensors which are found on your devices, and uh, this can be combined. So um, one example is a study by Wang and colleagues from 2014, where they studied uh, students and uh, behavior of students uh, during the semester. So for example, assessing their stress. And then you can combine microphone on your phone and light sensor and accelerometer. So if the uh, microphone is speaking no sound, if the accelerometer is speaking no movement, and then the um, light sensor also indicates that it's dark, then you could approximate sleep by uh, this uh, information. And then what, uh, uh, again, what is interesting about this study is that uh, they use these uh, sensors, they use questionnaires, uh, self-report, they use this ecological momentary assessment to then see when uh, people were active, when people were sleeping, when people were moving around, and uh, collected um, measures of depression. So you would think, okay, well, uh, it's kind of obvious to see that people are more, for example, anxious when the uh, exams <laughs> come about, mm-hmm. right? Uh, or they are more stressed. I can imagine, yeah. Uh, but at the same time, uh, if psychologists are doing this kind of studies, for them, the purpose is interventions, right? So you can basically see, based on this passive, so-called passive measurement, uh, that a person, for example, is at risk for depression, and then you can intervene. Um, the other study, so you asked about sensors which are not on the phone, these were on the phone, is by Ned English and colleagues from um, NORC at the University of Chicago. Uh, 
where they used environmental sensors uh, from the project array of things, uh, which were basically uh, outside, uh, right, um, on... <laughs> what do you mean by outside? Sorry. I'm so, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, air quality sensors, right? Oh, so okay. not on the phone. And then okay. you can combine these with the uh, sensors which are on the phone, uh, again, with self-report, um, for example. But these are, these are sensors that the participants are sent, basically, right? Uh, no, the air, well, air quality sensors, the ones which uh, were used in the study by uh, English uh, and uh, his colleagues, were not sent to participants, so they were basically mounted uh, uh, on the streets. But ah, okay. um, some studies actually do uh, send uh, devices uh, to their participants, such as yeah. the Understanding America study mm. um, in the U.S. They did send air quality sensors and uh, uh, had them at home. Um, so Statistics Netherlands uh, also had uh, some projects sending people accelerometers um, to basically measure people's physical activity. Or, and and uh, assessing their health. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And and for apps, I mean, I suppose it's the same. That, that sometimes it's a, a an app. Basically, the participants are told to download and install on their phone. Or it's are we talking? Yeah, WhatsApp here. Are we talking banking apps? Are we talking? I don't know. Tinder. What are we talking? <laughs> um, so, well, you could of course use uh, uh, the apps which are on the phone. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if you are uh, interested in the activities that people do on their phones, uh, how much time they spend on WhatsApp, how much time they spend on Facebook and so forth, then these apps uh, would be used. But um, for my work, uh, usually these apps are developed, right? So uh, these are specifically developed apps. So you could say research apps that are installed by participants on their devices. You could also uh, ask some information in browser. So for example, you can measure geolocation in browser, uh, basically a you can think of it as an online survey, right, which just asks for your location. Um, but this is uh, only one time location, right? So uh, the uh, most exciting thing about the apps is that you can sense continuously so that uh, you know, for example, where a person is uh, traveling to, uh, which, well, you could uh, also infer mode of transportation, which is nice for um, maybe replacing some uh, questions in the travel study. So, I forgot your question. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a very good answer, very good. comprehensive answer. No, I was basically asking whether you, uh, whether you wholly rely on things that are kind of native in someone's device, whether that's the sensors or the apps, or you, you, you're relying on things that the survey provides effectively, right? And I think that there's, I would imagine that there's got to be a bit of a trade-off between, so if it's something that the survey provides, it's almost like an additional layer of non-response, right? So you're asking them to do something. And the, 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 the better quality stuff is that native app thing because it's natural data. Maybe it lasts a longer time. It's already there. It's a kind of more natural behavior, potentially. But there's a trade-off, right? Because people may be less willing to give that. I don't know. How, how, how do you navigate through that decision as to whether to rely on those native-based sensors and apps or the, the stuff provided by surveys? <laughs> well, this is not like there's one app, right? So, for example, uh, you have uh, an Android, maybe I have an iPhone, uh, and uh, that means that uh, this is not one app which uh, needs to be developed, but kind of like two apps. Well, yeah. I'm not, I'm not a programmer, yeah, 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 right? But uh, in a way, um, but that makes it that this, makes it more you much more inclined to rely on people's native apps, right? Because they're already built in. Otherwise, if you're building an app for them, then doesn't that mean you have to cater for all the different devices? It's quite a it's quite a large amount of work to to maintain that kind of thing, right? So again, not as a programmer, I could say that. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody else does that hard work, right? <laughs> Some, exactly. But um, 
So uh, if you want to control the measurement, right? So you also, you are not just interested in passive measures mm. usually, right? So you also want to maybe uh, have some uh, self-report questions, right? Mm. So if, for example, you're collecting information about travel, you are maybe interested about the motives, uh, why people went to a particular place. So then... Um, you could use uh, Google location history, uh, and this is something uh, else. <laughs> so this uh, uh, is uh, data donation. So mm. you could uh, basically donate the data that uh, Google has collected on you, or you can have the app that is specifically developed for this purpose, right? Yeah. So these are kind of, I would say, two different, different things, two different approaches. And it, you're right to say that there is a non-response, right? Non-willingness uh, yeah, yeah. of people to participate. That's actually uh, one of the central questions uh, which I've been working on in the past couple of years. Who is willing to, uh, you know, install these apps? Who is not willing? Does it make a difference yeah. um, in data? And do you have an answer to that? <laughs> <laughs> some of them. Some, some of them, them. yeah. <laughs> Sometimes. It's, it's always that kind of uh, midway, midway answer. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. exactly. It works some of the times. Yeah, you mentioned uh, in your kind of uh, when you were talking just there that uh, you're not a programmer. And I think that's one of the crucial bits about this kind of research, because it does seem to involve like a huge range of expertise to get this thing right. Right. In terms of the legal expertise you need to know, the technical expertise, development, how to launch an app, all these different kinds of elements. How do you deal with that as a researcher? Because surely that takes a huge amount of uh, kind of work to get right. Yeah, so your work becomes quite interdisciplinary. I work with research engineers, right, so programmers. I work with uh, law scholars and legal experts. So you don't really need to be a lawyer or a programmer, but you need to have some understanding of what steps need to be taken. So, for example, that when you are collecting this kind of data, this is sensitive data, right, So uh, or potentially sensitive data. So you need the ethical review board approval from your university. So you should also think about the privacy policy that should be in place. Uh, consent forms to participants. So all these kind of things. Uh, you could also do a data privacy impact assessment, so-called DIPEA, and uh, make a data management plan. So uh, where you would talk about how to store this data, uh, who will have access and who will not have access. And usually at universities, the um, research uh, data management uh, can help. And also privacy officers Ethical Review Board um, can help with uh, this. Also think about data analysis, right? So this is not kind of the square data set that uh, people are used to from uh, surveys. So this uh, will be very rich uh, and uh, there will be a lot of missing data. There will be um, also a need for new skills to analyze this type of data. So uh, visualization, but uh, it makes it also exciting, right, to kind of work in this uh, interdisciplinary environment to combine different skills, different skill sets of people. Um, what uh, another thing is, uh, is maybe not connected to your question per se of, of these challenges of uh, navigating the legal, ethical landscape, uh, but also the participants, right? So the challenge is how to get participants. So I was talking about this designed big data approach where you start with the mm -hmm. uh, sampling frame where you draw a sample, where you invite uh, people to a survey, and then um, you invite them to take part with an app. So the studies that have been done uh, like this in the Netherlands uh, by Statistics Netherlands or in the UK uh, under Understanding Society, um, well, for example, in Germany also by the Institute of Employment Research, show that the participation rates uh, uh, 
for these apps uh, and sensor studies are about um, 18%, 35%. So we know that response rates are dropping, right? So this is a problem across uh, time, across countries. And uh, we can think about apps as a solution, kind of uh, people don't take part in surveys. So let's, uh, let's um, uh, use this kind of data. But then the question is also, are people willing and able to participate in, uh, in this kind of studies? So this is what I've been working on in the past couple of years and uh, looking onto this willingness and what influences willingness to participate in this kind of studies. Okay. No, but this, it, i got to say, like, from a res- if you're a researcher who's thinking about using these kind of things in your survey, you can see how it's so intimidating. Would you have any kind of words of advice for if you're a researcher thinking, uh, I'm going to be running this survey and I want to know if I can get some kind of Apple sensor element uh, into the survey, where would you even begin? Because you've got to talk about, you've got to cover all these different dimensions. You've got to cover the, the legal and ethical and the, the development, the actual technical development. But then you've also got to consider all these methodological elements that you're just talking about now. Like, how, where do you even begin? Where do you start? So uh, since I'm a survey methodologist by training, right, I would start with this. So I would start with the methodology. I would start with thinking where are you going to get your participants, right? So uh, are you going to have a study which is based on volunteers, right? Uh, Or are you going to indeed draw, well, if you have a possibility for it, draw a probability-based sample? Um, Then uh, also, um, how are you going to communicate uh, to people the uh, purposes of your study? So in this um, research that uh, I've done recently, Uh, We've looked uh, into the willingness of people and seen that the decisions uh, to participate or not are very nuanced. So um, we've done a series of randomized experiments uh, and saw that, for example, additional assurance of privacy and confidentiality did not increase the willingness to share data and the actual sharing of data. So maybe the, uh, well, not maybe, we actually found this out that there is a sponsor which plays a role. So if you are, for example, based at a university, you would want to communicate that the university is doing this study as opposed to a market research company or official statistics, um, so um, the uh, statistical institute. And the challenge is to also see, well, do people understand what is asked from them, right? So uh, what are the reasons uh, they are not sharing? So your goal uh, would be also to increase transparency. And this can be done through explanation, but this can also be done through some design decisions. For example, as we've done uh, in a study with uh, Statistics Netherlands, where we chose to visualize people's locations on a map when we asked uh, them to share their geolocation. And um, saw that, uh, uh, well, from the step of willingness, saying, yes, I will share it, to the step of actually sharing, there was some drop, right? But at the same time, uh, so we want to avoid this backfire effect, but we also want to be responsible and ethical and transparent. So uh, you could take this design decision to, you know, show the data to the participants before um, before it is sent. Yeah, no, it's, 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 a, it's a fine kind of line to tread between the transparency and the actual methodological effect of, of absolutely terrifying participants. You know, It's like that classic thing of, of telling the survey participants how long exactly the survey is going to be at the beginning, right? Whether you're going to scare them off or whether you're going to be transparent and open from the, from the outset. Now, and the other thing that I also think a lot of researchers who are kind of contemplating this find really difficult is that also the choice and type of app and sensor technology that you're actually going to implement and invest in, right? 
And I think that there's a lot of researchers out there at the minute who are very much Twitter experts who are finding it very difficult in terms of the future of that company and uh, how they're going to integrate that, uh, continue to integrate Twitter data into their research. Like, how do you navigate those kind of quite long-term decisions, right? So how do you know which apps and sensors and approaches to, to, to go with, right? It, it, the technological landscape is really fluid. Yeah, so this is an awesome question, Tom, because uh, there's multitude of tools available, right? So, uh, so they range from do-it-yourself, kind of uh, create an app, uh, and uh, build an app to uh, some custom solutions, which are basically tailored to a specific study. And um, if uh, one wants to do a longitudinal study, right, so to measure concepts uh, continually uh, and that they also do not change throughout time, this is a big challenge. So uh, uh, this continuous, uh, basically you would need a continuous investment to uh, see that the sensors, the apps are, are still measuring what you intend to measure. Uh, you're asking about uh, Twitter, right? So um, the, the platform there, uh, the, <laughs> the problem is that the platform uh, mm-hmm. controls, right? So mm-hmm. with an app, you have a possibility to have more, if it's customly developed for your research, you uh, can have a, a possibility to control more of uh, what data you collect. So uh, you would uh, need to update uh, the app. So for example, the Statistics Netherlands, uh, again, bringing up the example of the travel app, um, has put it into the field. Now there's a second iteration, put it into the field. Uh, but uh, for example, if you have an app which measures geolocation, uh, it most likely is uh, based off of, uh, of Google's protocols, right? So, and Google then might decide to implement some changes. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, there you kind of have this uh, constant, uh, you know, you need to stay on top of things uh, technically. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, this is indeed a <laughs> continuous investment uh, into Yeah, it's quite intimidating. <laughs> Yeah, no, and I was because I think uh, one thing that I've always found intriguing about the way that uh, apps and sensors are, are played out in surveys is I don't think we've seen yet apps and sensors really break through into some of the large scale, either longitudinal or cross national survey data collections yet. And I, I do wonder whether that's because there hasn't been sufficient like technological stability to provide those longitudinal measures or cross-national measures. But I don't know if you think that's something that there's actually prospect of, of changing in the future. I do hope. (laughs) You can hope, yes. I can hope, yes, exactly. So I think that um, this is actually also an awesome question because uh, there have been some studies, right, uh, which are uh, based on volunteers, which are based on willing participants and, um, scaling up uh, is a challenge. And when I say scaling up, I don't mean just participant numbers because you can get thousands or Mm -hmm. maybe even millions, right, uh, of volunteers. But the question is, does it generalize or yes or no? And for some questions, uh, some research questions, it's uh, okay to to, uh, base them on volunteer samples, right? But for some other questions, let's say official statistics, uh, you do need to be sure that um, your conclusions will generalize to the target population that you have in mind. So um, for big surveys, there are, of course, different things that uh, play. Uh, one of them is the, oh, well, what kind of research question that is, right? So mm-hmm. does it, I would say, does it make sense to uh, use apps okay. and sensors? Uh, this is the first question to answer. And if it does, then um, there is a pro- pro- 
plurality, plurality, <laughs> plurality yes. connected to it. So some of your p- participants, right? Uh, if we take some large scale survey. Uh, population uh, based, right? Mm. Um, some of uh, your participants will be tech savvy, right? Some of your participants will uh, not be. And uh, this is actually uh, one of the things that uh, I've uh, found out with uh, my collaborator, Florian Koish, mm. uh, from the University of Mannheim, that the more activities people do on smartphones, the more willing uh, they are likely to share um, data mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, collect or collected through sensors and apps, and they're more likely they're sharing this data, right? So mm-hmm. uh, this is something that you cannot really influence. Yeah. <laughs> so you would you're still kind of uh, you're dependent on different ways of collecting information. Yeah. Uh, and uh, there's some kind of fragmented reality, if you will. Yeah. And the uh, I think the task of a well, of a researcher is then to, uh, well, from my perspective, tailor what kind uh, of uh, um, of what kind of device you could use to ask one participant, what kind of device you could use to ask uh, the other one, what kind of mode you can ask one participant, what kind of mode you can ask the other participant in. So, for example, some people would just do mail survey, right, mm-hmm. or online survey. Mm-hmm. They would never do an app survey. Yeah. Uh, or app and sensors and uh, app and sensors yes. and, and etc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, this uh, this is a challenge uh, if mm-hmm. you want to have uh, data which is collected from all the participants uh, of this large scale uh, study, but it might not be necessary, uh, right? So you could just have a, a yeah part part of this uh, people participants collecting this uh, apps and sensors study. Yeah, and I know you've done data. quite a few collaborations with uh, Statistics Netherlands uh, here and, and maybe some other like uh, very formal and institutional data providers. So do you see them actually integrating apps and sensors into their official statistics? Is that actually actually occurring in, like, in production statistics, as it were? So uh, there are a number of projects mm. uh, that uh, are carried out uh, by Statistics Netherlands. And actually, w- with Eurostat, we mm-hmm. are now... Uh, focusing on, uh, uh, yeah, es- well, looking I- into uh, using uh, apps uh, uh, for um, official statistics surveys. Uh, you could think of uh, the budget survey, as I said, right? The time you survey, the travel uh, survey. Uh, so as of now, um, this is not yet the standard procedure for official statistics to um, collect this kind of data, but there is interest, right? And uh, this is, I think, uh, um, an exciting phase right now, elabor- uh, <laughs> evaluating mm-hmm. um, whether that's a f- whether that's feasible, uh, yes or no, and uh, um, yeah, what to yet, go from right? there. We're not quite there yet, right? I wouldn't say so, no. but uh, maybe my colleagues from Statistics Netherlands will get angry. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's <laughs> that generalizability question, right? It's that, that sense that you're actually covering the whole population and that you're, you're really getting uh, full and accurate answers. Yeah, so in, in one of the studies with, uh, with Statistics Netherlands, uh, um, we looked uh, into uh, so-called non-participation bias, right? So because uh, it's not just about the participation rate, all right? So if you think about surveys, uh, there is this famous study by uh, Groves and Pecheva where uh, they mm, show that uh, non-response uh, is weakly related to non-response bias. And non-response bias is more important. So basically, you can have a low response rate to a survey, but uh, have uh, unbiased statistics. So here, 
this uh, can also be the case, right? So the participation rate can be uh, low, but then if there is no bias, um, then you're fine. Yeah. Uh, so what uh, mm, what we found, uh, and this is just one study, right? So this is a disclaimer that goes with it, is that the bias overall is not that high, but it depends, of course, on the research question and on your purpose. Mm. So how do you say, well, a couple percentage points bias is not so high, but if you're taking a decision, a policy decision based on it, then it can, can still have some uh consequences which you would like to avoid. So um, long story short, <laughs> uh, I think that focusing on only you know participation rates uh, and uh, whether we can get people to participate uh, in this is of course important, but yeah. also if there is a possibility of using this administrative data to look into who participates, who doesn't participate, uh, or some right. other auxiliary data to assess data quality, this should definitely be done. It goes back to that point you were saying at the beginning about it's uh, uh, big data by design, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Okay, well, so we've covered a huge amount of ground already, and uh, what you're saying is really fascinating, but I Given that we're talking about all these future technologies, I do wonder where you think it's all going and what the future ahead looks like for apps and sentences. So what are the big exciting opportunities that are up and coming in this area? Well, we've already talked about the, uh, you know, scaling up in terms of, uh, you know, generalizing. And you can think of surveys. I'm actually not sure who said that. So <laughs> I'm just going to give a quote without the author. Uh, that survey data is variable rich, but case poor. And big data is basically reversed, right? So mm -hmm. it's a rich data, but not a lot is known about participants. So that's why I think uh, the future will be the combination of self-report and passive measurement uh, or and or donated data. So that's what I'm excited about and hope that it will be entering more into the mainstream uh, large-scale surveys. So what is the data donation uh, of digital trace data? Um, well, we know that uh, companies, right, like Facebook, uh, Google, uh, YouTube, uh, all mm -hmm. uh, digital platforms uh, are collecting a massive amount of data about individuals, right? So, and uh, this is scaling here, the big data, but most uh, of it is proprietary, right? So it's closed off for research. So uh, I'm working with um, collaborators from six universities uh, in the Netherlands uh, on a project which is called D3i. So this is Digital Trace Data Donation. It is led by Theo Araujo from uh, um, uh, University, of Amsterdam, <laughs> University yes. of Amsterdam. Yes. And uh, what it does, it basically it allows researchers to work uh, directly with participants and participants have a control over their data. So... Um, these platforms, as I mentioned, let's say Netflix, YouTube, uh, Google, they um, collect information and you as a person uh, have a right, thanks to GDPR, to request the information that they have on you. So you can just go and uh, to the platform and ask uh, for this information and you get a so-called data download package. So this is a zip file with the information that uh, is uh, provided by this company that you're asking it from. So uh, we got a grant um, to investigate, or well, actually not just investigate, to build uh, a platform uh, which 
uh, allows people to uh, provide uh, the data from this uh, data donation packages to researchers. And what is exciting about it is that it's done in a privacy-preserving way. So um, there is local processing involved, meaning that your data is processed on your device, so it's not leaving your device. And then mm-hmm. you can actually view the data and change, uh, make some changes, because if it's a sensitive data, then you also, by law, have the right uh, to not provide some of it to the researchers, right? You can get rid of the nude pics <laughs> and stuff like that, right? <laughs> Well, we are not collecting this kind of information. That's just Tom. Well, exactly. That's just Tom joking here, just for you know, as a disclaimer. Um, so, um, and uh, basically, uh, this is a truly informed consent, then, right? Because you see uh, what data you're providing, and only after uh, you click donate mm-hmm. is the data. Um, going to the researcher. So we are working with the uh, software development company and there's legal uh, scholars, there's uh, research engineers involved, there's um, communication scientists, social scientists. We are doing multiple pilot studies um, and also uh, methodological work goes into it. So that's where I come in. And um, the basically the next step, so this is just one way of data donation, right? Mm-hmm, Through these mm-hmm. data donation packages. You can also uh, uh, imagine other ways which uh, or other technical implementations. Uh, and um, I would say that uh, the next step is to combine it with surveys, which uh, we're already doing, uh, but maybe not everyone who is working with data donations. Also with official statistics. So you can think of uh, smart energy meters, which are collecting this kind of data, and then people could just, uh, you know, provide it for uh, researchers or for national statistical institutes. Uh, Also for spending behavior, you can uh, think of bank uh, Mm -hmm. records, right? So uh, that you don't have to enter your purchases uh, uh, into the app, but just donate this kind of data. So that's uh, also aggregated, right? So for example, if I take Google location history, uh, if you have an Android phone and go to Google and ask for this data. If you download the uh, zip file, then your um, location, latitude, longitude would be there. But uh, what uh, we're doing is extracting, or what the software Mm -hmm. is doing is extracting information. So for example, how many kilometers have you traveled today or how many hours? Yeah, Uh, but not where specifically. But not where specifically, right? So this makes it also easier for storing this kind of data. Yeah, yeah. And for uh, navigating the uh, ethical review board, because as a researcher, you're then not dealing with this location. Yeah, you don't want uh, it, right? Yeah, you don't exactly. want all that personal so, stuff. So. Uh, you're dealing just with aggregated uh, data. And um, that's a nice thing about it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's much more secure, right? So yeah. I think that the f- future uh, is basically the combination of different data sources, right? So, and I talked about some people wanting to do mail surveys and other people wanted to use apps and sensors, but then you can also uh, think of uh, official statistics data. So for countries that have it, I understand that, of course, this, we are in the luxury situation here in the Netherlands, and a lot of countries don't have it. Um, but uh, still, there is a possibility, right, to combine, to combine self-report, to combine data donation, to combine specifically designed uh, apps and sensor data. So, for example, if we take a health survey, Mm -hmm. right, so you can have some self-report on uh, what is your uh, health status. Uh, You can also uh, use uh, uh, apps and sensors. So let's say uh, you have uh, iHealth on your iPhone, and then uh, you can uh, have also download a zip file where your step count would be on, right? So Mm -hmm. uh, if, uh, for example, we have a study which sends Fitbits to people, then uh, some people maybe are not, 
really keen on wearing those, right? And uh, your phone um, automatically collects it. Of course, there's some caveats, like men and women uh, carry phones uh, some uh, differently, right? Men uh, more likely to carry them in their fo- pockets and uh, women more likely to carry them in purses. So, But yeah. still, like these all issues aside, which methodologists are looking at, um, there is an opportunity for combination also with biomarkers, right? So you can have some objective information like uh, uh, blood, uh, dried blood spots, uh, right? So you can think of a world where <laughs> you have all these desperate, uh, disparate, yeah. <laughs> desperate, 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 yeah. <laughs> both disparate and desperate, yeah. I would probably say, yeah. <laughs> desperate, disparate sources that are combined um, mm-hmm. to answer one research question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think it also helps, like, I think there's a sense... As we were saying, this is a really volatile field and there's just like data everywhere. There's so many different things collecting data. And I think this gives a sense to to try and uh, triangulate and validate a lot of the stuff that's being collected. So when you look at sensors, they don't really, I mean, there's no sense that they can give a sen- they, uh, tell us how much polarization there's been right? over the last 30 years. You need something like the the European Social Survey to look at these kind of things. But you can collect this kind of data in alongside it to at least see how that lines up with the, the these core survey indicators, right? It's that triangulation effect. So you're touching up uh, on a crucial thing, which is the construct validity, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, where uh, the researcher has to actually, when you ask me what the researcher has to do, I think probably that <laughs> should have been my first answer. Think about uh, whether you're measuring what you intend to measure, right? What are you actually measuring? If the construct that you're measuring is actually you know, <laughs> measurable by this uh, passive uh, data. So for attitudes, right, I think that's what you're hinting to. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it is It is uh, sometimes maybe possible, sometimes not. And this is actually also a very interesting question, which uh, my uh, colleagues and I sometimes debate. Are these new research questions that we are answering or are these just new ways of um, measuring social reality, new methods? Um, and... Um, here, I would like to actually provide an example by mm-hmm. uh, going away from your question. Okay. <laughs> uh, an example uh, of a study made uh, in the U.S. by Naomi Suji and her mm-hmm. colleagues, uh, where they recruited uh, paralyzed, so men recently released from prison in New Jersey, and uh, they provided them with smartphones uh, and uh, um, sent them ecological momentary assessment questionnaires and mm-hmm. then also uh, tracked their geolocation uh, and uh, also looked at the web searchers. So the goal was to see how people reintegrate into the job market. Right. And then she and her colleagues said that um, they found out that there is a residential mismatch. So basically jobs are located somewhere else where people dwell. Right. Um, and uh, they say that they wouldn't have been able to actually find that out just by self-report alone, right? So here is this additional um, opportunity of, uh, of using new technologies to find out something more. Yeah. You can, of course, say, well, this is still part of the old research question. But yeah, that's why it's no, a no, I think it's a valid. <laughs> I think there is a sense to which these things can give new insights. But I think that we, we also have to hold it in the context of the longer term debate, right? And I think that if you're just relying on the on these kind of new technologies you never really get a whether get a sense whether you're picking up the signal or the noise right you'd never get a sense with whether it's actually just the technology driving uh, all the different effects and things that you're seeing rather than actually being something that's substantively interesting 
I think it's always a, a tricky thing to pick, uh, unpick. And as you say, by combining this with survey research, then you get a much kind of, uh, yeah, as you say, big data by design approach kind of. Yeah, so also like, for example, if you look at the era frameworks, right? So for big data that mm. have emerged uh, in uh, recent years. So there's uh, um, several papers written on it by uh, Lara Buschhotten, for example, uh, mm -hmm. for digital traces by uh I believe Paul Beamer and Ashley Amaya for big data, they all kind of uh, grew out of, I would say, grew out of the total survey error framework, right? Which uh, the uh, methodologists have been <laughs> working on for, for decades now. And uh, I think that uh, we, well, of course, as a survey person, I would say we do need surveys, right? <laughs> so, but we can think of different ways of using surveys. So we can think mm. of validation, right? So where you say, well, uh, is it just signal or noise? So mm -hmm. we can see, uh, does it align the survey data and sensor data? And uh, we can also uh, look into, for example, augmentation, right? So we are getting something new from uh, sensors, which uh, is not available from self-report, as I said. There is more... Uh, um, there's more uses. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> uh, in like in the interest of time, I can just refer you to the paper by Fred Conrad and Florian mm. Koch, <laughs> name dropping. Of course. Here, uh, to read on about this. No, but I also think there's a there's a sense to which these these long term surveys. The other thing that they they provide on top of that validation is a sense of uh, uh, trust and consent, right? Because these survey infrastructures have been involved in this kind of stuff for for so long. And with a lot, especially longitudinal surveys where people have been in a panel for, you know, what, 20 years or something like that, then they do trust the survey uh, institutes. And so when it comes to that data process, and if you want them, you know, to, to handle those kind of consent processes, they do trust these infrastructures. And those infrastructures, those surveys are, are really well adapted to ensuring that their respondents know what's going on, right? So if we want to do this ethically and responsibly, I think it, it is going to require... A, a lot of the stuff that's in and around surveys anyway, right? Yes, so uh, trust is key, exactly. So mm -hmm. basically that's uh, what we, we saw in one of the studies, one of the randomized experiments, the sponsor effect, right? So people, uh, there's a curious finding uh, because we had um, uh, one uh, German study where uh, we asked people in the uh, mark, uh, panel of the market research agency, right? And there we saw, well, university evokes the most trust uh, in terms of uh, whether people are willing to share their absence sensor data uh, if it's if the study is sponsored by university. Uh, but then it was followed by, uh, by market research uh, and not by official statistics, right, for Germany. And we thought that uh, that's just because these are people who are participating in market research. Uh, we uh, did this study in the LISP panel in the Netherlands, which is the probability-based panel uh, for the general population, which is housed at Tilburg University. So there, uh, the trust was highest for the university, but then official statistics and then market research in terms of uh, willingness to share this data. So people do need to know who is asking, right, uh, where the data is going to and uh, who is going to have access to it. So there's the concept by Helen Nissenbaum, which is called privacy in context, uh, mm -hmm. which basically says that the information is not uh, private uh, or public in itself, right? But uh, for example, I would share some information with my doctor uh, and it would be okay, but I would not like the doctor gossiping about uh, the information I've shared with uh, his uh, wife over dinner. Right. So and here also uh, for collecting this kind of information with apps and sensors, uh, why do you need my information? Would, <laughs> would the participant ask? Yeah. 
On the other hand, I also, <laughs> sorry for rambling, no, 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 get no. asked uh, a question a lot uh, mm. when I present on these topics. Do people even care because people share yeah. the information on Facebook and on Instagram and Are on we TikTok overthinking and whatnot? Uh, but yeah, so basically, like people share this everywhere, and uh, you know, um, do they even care about their privacy? Yeah. So this is what is called the privacy paradox, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, that on the one hand, the uh, people would say, "Yeah, I care about my privacy." On the other hand, they would post something. But you need to think about it, uh, I think, in a different way. That people do have an audience in mind. Right, and yeah. when they share some things on Twitter or on Instagram or whatnot, it's not necessarily that this data is going to be, you know, scrapped by researchers and used for research. Yeah. So, um, and there, as you're saying, these uh, big studies, the large-scale surveys, they've built a reputation, right? Mm -hmm. And national statistical offices, they also have a reputation, which. Uh, is not uh, so it's not easy to build but yeah. uh, this trust is easy to break and yeah, that's exactly. why uh, the careful uh, like the careful attitude that goes into it uh, is I think um, very much yeah justifi <laughs> justifiable no absolutely absolutely well I, I've got to thank you for uh, kind of joining us today and giving us a fascinating oversight of the apps and sensors in surveys and you've also given us a real kind of uh, rundown of a huge number of studies and a huge amount of literature uh, that you've referenced that we will uh, ask you to provide us with all those references and we will stick them in the show notes of the podcast. But that does lead me to say it's been an absolute pleasure to have you in and, and talk about all these different um, uh, fascinating aspects of, of uh, apps and sensors in surveys. Um, thank you very much. And uh, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks, Tom. If I could just drop one last bit. Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course, of one, one more. Is, uh, so basically, because you've been asking how to design the studies, what do you need to keep in mind? Um, actually, mm. uh, we are writing a book on wearables, apps, and sensors in surveys uh, with uh, Florian Koish, Stephanie, uh, Stephanie was. Ekman. <laughs> yes, was. And Heidi Geyer, um, where um, people can look for answers on how to implement uh, this WAS, uh, that's a working title, wearables, apps, and sensor studies in practice. So um, we have it uh, on Bookdown. So that's mm -hmm. uh, the first chapter is already online, and uh, you can provide the link to people. They can read it and comment. We are very much looking for feedback, and we'll be putting next chapters online very soon. Yeah, I know. I know. This is a completely uh, amazing resource. Yeah. So free and open source and, and well, ready th to use. There's right? going to be a published version, which is not, not going to be free. Right? So, <laughs> okay, we'll get but, the free but, version but, while you can then, guys. <laughs> yes. Okay, that's it for this month. Thanks for listening and thank you very much to our guest, Bella Struminskaya. And if you have your own ideas for future topics that we could cover, please email info at europeansurveyresearch.org or reach us on Twitter at Esra Survey. But until next time, thanks for listening.